Thanks, Matt. It's always a privilege to be up here and, and to see your voices, from, your faces from this vantage point. It really is an honor uh, to preach, especially in a series like this. It's not an opportunity that I take lightly, so thank you, elders, for entrusting me. We are in a series entitled Christ and Me, Continuing the Supernatural Ministry of Jesus. And if you've been with us, this is week three of five. Uh, Steve kicked us off and gave us an overview of the series and uh, also just gave us a biblical theology for healing um, fueled by the Holy Spirit. And last week, uh, Chris um, preached about intimacy with Christ, and he showed us how simple and accessible it is to partner with God in the supernatural. And this morning, it's going to get even better, not because I'm preaching, but because there's so much more for us to grow in. We're going to look at the goodness of God, and we're going to look at how Jesus reveals the heart and character and power of the Father. Christ in me, continuing the supernatural ministry of Jesus. I love this title. Is there anything better than speaking about Jesus? It's all about Him, His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. And what about Christ in me, the power and the privilege of knowing Him, He alive inside of us, Christ in me. He could have chosen to live anywhere, and He chose to live in me. The mystery has been revealed, and it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when God moves through us in love, that glory is made manifest for the world to see. Is there any greater privilege than being a witness in the earth and picking up where Jesus left off with signs, wonders, and miracles? I'm reminded of a scripture in Ephesians 5 that says, Make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil. And I just feel that encouragement for us, uh, especially in this series, just to make it count. And not just here on Sundays, but as we step out into our weeks, the cry of my heart is, Lord, help me to make the most of every opportunity. For the time is now for our city. The time is now for the sons of God to be revealed for the glory of our King. And as a preaching team in this series, We've just felt to raise our expectations, to raise our gaze. I felt God give me that phrase in May this year, that I would raise my gaze. Because it's so easy in a city like ours just to settle in, to get comfortable with what we see and feel. But God has called us to occupy the high ground and to operate at a supernatural level by faith, naturally. Gary Kay, can you come up? Last week, Rachel uh, shared about how her shoulder was healed in Connect Group, and I want Gary to share of a recent healing. Thanks. Um, so when Mark was just, he just mentioned, you know, the love of God, and God just loves people so much, and... Um, I've had the opportunity quite a few times recently to see that happen kind of in my day-to-day life. And it's not about, you know, on Sundays or just kind of one-off events. I think it's something that we can walk into a lot. I wanted to share a testimony about that. I was in Germany 
three weeks ago. And um, I was there for the week working, and I was on my way home from my office to my hotel one day. And as I was walking home, I, I saw a guy on the street, and the Lord really just highlighted him to me. And he was limping badly. And he had, I don't know if you can see my feet, but one of his ankles was turned in like this. So he had, if you can't see my foot, it's like this. And um, that's just the way he was walking. He was kind of dragging his foot and limping along the way. And I walked up to him and struck up a conversation. He didn't speak much English. Um, but I asked him his name and just started talking a little bit. And then I told him that, um, that God loved him and that sometimes... Um, Jesus heals people, and sometimes he does that when I pray for him. And I asked him if it was okay if I prayed for him. And I think he understood most of that. He said, okay, that, that's fine. And so I put my hand on his lower leg and started praying. And immediately his foot, which had been turned in completely at the ankle, moved out completely straight. And um, he just gets this like shocked look on his face and this big smile. And I stood up, and he gives me this big hug. And, again, I'm not sure how much of this he understood. I told him that Jesus loved him um, and that he just met Jesus, and it was, that's what had happened. And he went, just was so delighted. So I don't know how much of what I was saying to him um, he actually understood, but I do know that he met Jesus on the streets of Hamburg, Germany. So praise God for that. So good. And it's just one of many testimonies um, of healing and salvation that we are seeing uh, in the body. And just to hear Nicole's testimony this morning just adds to that. I do want to commend just the Kloppensteins for going after this stuff. And they've been leading a business prayer team. And it's been awesome just to take people from our body out into the city, into the business context, and to see the love of God touch people in that way. Steve encouraged us at the start of the series, um, to share testimonies uh, with each other because it builds that muscle of expectation. And Chris reminded us last week that one person's victory is a victory for the whole body, and it uh, sets a platform for us to, to build on. So let's do it. Let's continue to share of the supernatural goodness of God. We have to raise our expectations. Think about... Jesus and Mary at the wedding in Cana. Mary, for 30 years, had been carrying that expectation of Jesus as the Son of God. And not just the promise, but the reality of the Word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine the level of expectation that Mary had to live with? And there she is at a wedding, and the wine runs out. And so she turns to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. And Jesus replies, he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Even Jesus got annoyed at his mom sometimes, or maybe just one time. But the faith and expectation of Mary pulls on heaven and draws on the power of God before the appointed time. Mary turns the heart of God with her expectation for the miraculous. She didn't know know how Jesus was going to do it, but she knew who Jesus was. And sometimes we have no idea how Jesus is going to do it, but we have to know who he is. 
And she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that's the, the last recorded thing that Mary says in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Her faith and expectation produces the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. I'm trusting that we would raise our gaze to see Jesus for who he is and then to see people loved like he loves, to see people like he sees them and to carry his heart into the city. A lot of this has come through this morning in the contributions and the worship. I'm growing in this stuff and it's really exciting. Living with expectation and a realization that Christ is in me, that he wants to move through me, is exciting. And when I do step out in faith, he releases a joy that cannot be found in any other thing. And it's not my ability, but it's my availability. We're all invited into this. We just need to say yes to him. You'll remember Steve's illustration of the wedding proposal when he went down on one knee. Well, Jesus has proposed to us. What is our response to him? And when we say yes to him, we enter into a covenant that cannot be broken. It's a covenant of love. And no one has loved us like he loves us. Availing myself to him means keeping my heart clear before him. Proverbs says, guard your heart for it is, a, it is the wellspring of life. I have the small job to do of keeping my heart clear and Jesus does the heavy lifting. What a deal. If I remain in him, knowing the truth of who I am, the spring flows and the world can come and drink from it. In Hebrews 3, there's a warning. I'm sorry to move from encouragement to caution, but I think this will be helpful. In fact, I get the scripture most times when I'm preparing, so it's probably more for me than it is for you. But in Hebrews 3, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not be hardened as you did. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. For 40 years the Israelites saw what God did, and still they did not believe. Manna fell from heaven, water sprang up from the rock, God sustained them supernaturally with food and drink. He even gave them sandals that didn't wear out for 40 years. Not even Nike has perfected this. Or maybe they have, but they want us to buy new sneakers every two years. The Israelites saw the mirac miraculous, but their perspective was off. They were, they were looking through the wrong lens. It's like picking up your phone and switching it to selfie mode. Instead of looking outward with expectation at all that God is doing around us, they focused in. It was all about them. Me, myself, and I the selfie generation, and they missed it. They missed it bad. For 40 years, they went around in circles, just focused on the wrong stuff, focused on themselves, what they didn't have, their needs and wants, and a whole generation had to pass away. We can't afford to have hearts that are hardened or to ignore his voice. Today, we have to see him, and we have to hear him, with minds and hearts that are set on him. No duplicity, no double-mindedness, no idols. The eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus says in Matthew 6. 
If the eye of your heart is single, the whole body is flooded with light. But if the light within you is darkness, how great is your darkness? How can light be darkness? It took me a while to work this out. Maybe you theologians out there can help me. But I really like the dim lights at home. And I turned down our dimmer to the lowest setting. So it was just a simmer of light. And it just was made clear to me in that moment. It's still light, but the darkness is nullifying the power of the light. It's dark compared to its potential. It's not darkness, but the light isn't what it should be. Jesus wants us to shine bright for him. He wants us to know how bright our light really is. It's about shining bright for the Lord, and it's about guarding the condition of our hearts. I'm emphasizing some foundational things this morning, because the supernatural is simple with a pure heart and with truth as our foundation. Do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Think about Jesus. He is the manna from heaven. He is the water that sprung up from the rock. He is the supernatural sustenance of God that we need to draw on daily. He is the bread of life and the water that wells up to eternal life. All that he has done. And all that he is, and yet we still go through seasons of missing it, grumbling in the wilderness instead of grabbing on to Jesus. We need to change our perspective. I'm preaching to myself too. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. If I were Doc McStuffins, I would say this is a case of hard heart titus. But you're in luck because the dark is in the house. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. If you are born again, then your hard heart is not your identity. It's not your created value. Jesus has restored you back to your original design. And that's the image of God. In the beginning, God created man in his image. And that image is love. You weren't created to be loved. You were created to be love. Because you were created in his image. In the image of God, he created man. And that image is love. (laughs) So you have to love Doc McStuffins. I think she's a Christian. She, I mean, she hangs out with with her dead toy buddies and they come alive when they're with her. And she's always healing them and sending them on their way to be what they were created to be. If you don't have small kids, I'm sorry... You probably don't know Doc like I do, but us parents, we sit through a lot of episodes and our minds wonder. I can just imagine if Stuffy, uh, I could just imagine Stuffy coming along with a hard heart. You know, he's like grumbling and gossiping about people. He's hurt because he got a bad deal. It just isn't fair for Stuffy. Doc's like, Stuffy, what's wrong with you? I don't like grumbly Stuffy. I think this is a case of hard heart Titus. I'm pulling out the big book of boo-boos and I'm running some tests on you. Is there unresolved conflict or bitterness that you need to deal with, Stuffy? Do you need to forgive someone? Or maybe it's become all about you. All about you and your stuff, Stuffy. (laughs) Stuffy, I think that you're letting life speak louder than Jesus. Louder than the truth of who he is in you. 
and who you are in him. Stuffy, God took away your old heart, your heart of stone, and he gave you a new heart. Remember that day when you were water baptized? You went down with him in his death and, he, and you were raised up in the fullness of life. The old stuffy is dead and the new stuffy is raised up. Stuffy, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? No, Doc, what is that? Wow, Stuffy, Jesus says clearly in his word that we need to receive his Holy Spirit. We receive it at salvation, but we constantly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He tells us in Acts 1.8 that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be his witness, and living water will flow from you, not that other stuff. Just having some fun. Thank you for putting up with my poor acting. So let's turn to John 3, if you can. This is the, the account of Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, so he was a man of prom- prominence and influence at that time and a religious leader. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Notice that there's a recognition of the things Jesus was doing, but not a recognition of who Jesus was as a son of God. Let's read from verse 3. Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus is drawn to Jesus by the miraculous, and Jesus uses that as a means to share the truth. He wants Nicodemus to see eternal things and not just earthly miracles. The miraculous points to Jesus. So Nicodemus asks a valid question, probably one most of us would have asked at the time. How can someone be born again if they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my asking. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus is at that fork in the road, the place that all of us were at one time, of choosing between logic or faith. There's only so much that our minds can comprehend, and then we need to step out in faith. And so Nicodemus is stuck. Let's jump down to John 3.16 probably the most well-known scripture by Christians. But think of it in the context of Nicodemus. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Most of us heard that scripture at salvation, and we thought it meant heaven one day. I've got a passport to heaven. It's a done deal. But Jesus defines eternal life in John 17 when he prays to be glorified. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent that they may know you. It's about knowing God now. It's not about heaven someday. And the motive for God sending his son is not because you're a sinner and he wants you forgiven and he wants you in heaven someday. The motive for God sending his son is love. It's to get heaven back inside of you. It's to get the sin off of you. And it's to robe you in the truth and righteousness and to restore you and put the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead back inside of you. He wants to restore you to back before sin, where you have right and access and fellowship with God, so you can live a life by the spirit and not the flesh. He wants to pull you back from the power of Satan and into the power of God. He wants to turn your world on and bring you out of darkness into his life and into his light. He wants to reteach us and retrain us because he's the good, good teacher and he's the good shepherd. We were, we were all born into a lie. We were trained by the wrong voice. We were homeschooled in the wrong home. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It's a spirit of this age and it's all a lie. From little up, we needed to be accepted We needed to be liked. We wanted people to say good stuff about us and not demeaning stuff. Someone says something bad about you and you're either angry, irritated, or annoyed. It's one of those and it's all the flesh. No one taught us that. It came from the fall of man. God doesn't want us to work out what we were born into. He wants us to be born again. Think about Jesus. Think about what he went through. Did anyone deserve less to die than Jesus? He went through it, the perfect sacrifice so that we don't have to. Jesus paid the highest price to buy us back. Revelation 5 says, by his blood, he purchased men for God. You don't pay something for nothing. The price has been paid to get us back and it's been paid in full because you're worth it, and I'm worth it to God. We were created in God's image, and that image is love, because God is love. You can read that in Genesis 1. But we know what happened. Man chose self, and with that, man took on the image of God's enemy. And ever since then, man has been trying to be love, be loved, instead of becoming love. And Jesus shows up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to win back what was stolen and to restore us back to what we were created to be as though we never ate the tree. That's the gospel. That's the good news.
Jesus walked totally selfless on the earth. He walked totally surrendered to the will of God. He walked in perfect obedience to the Father, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He did this for you and he did this for me, not to get us to heaven one day, not just heaven one day, but to restore the image of God to us now. We were born again by water and the Spirit. We went down with him in his death, just like stuff he did. The old man has died, the new man is raised up, and with him in the fullness of life, I died, and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Me and him and he and me. I'm not waking up in the morning trying to be a Christian. I'm waking up a son. I'm learning to be a son, and I'm learning to get to know my perfect dad. God so loved the world that he gave his son. The measuring stick of God's love is not that it's going well for me or that I had a good day or that I got healed or that he's using me to heal people. The measuring stick of God's love is the gift of his son. It's Christ crucified, period. God so loved the world that he gave. If we have received this gift, if we have received this love, then we have something to give. Can you repeat after me? I have something to give, and it's powerful. Thank you. (laughs) The sign of a Christian is not whether or not we are healing people. The sign of a Christian is whether or not we are willing to pray for people. The moment we step forward in love, faith is activated, and there's a demonstration that we believe that he is who he says he is, that he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. To lay hands on the sick is a demonstration of who we are in him, and it's a witness that we believe that our sins were forgiven on the cross. I'd like to end by sharing two quick uh, testimonies, um, and then after that we're going to pray for some folk. I sell industrial real estate for a living, and recently I was involved in the sale of sale and purchase of a building uh, that was going through bankruptcy was an old electric motors company that had been mismanaged and fell upon hard times and they were forced to eventually uh, sell everything, inventory and the building at an auction. And during the process, I got to know a lady who had worked at the company for 32 years and she, she had worked in this building that was now a big, dingy warehouse with a leaking roof and a stench of mold, boarded up windows and carpets that hadn't been changed in 50 years. And this, this lady worked until there was no one left at the building, just a loyal employee. And I felt God's love for her. So I came into the building one day and I asked her how she was doing. And she said she was feeling really down because that was her last day at work after 32 years. And there she was on her own. There was no one to thank her, no one to give her a farewell. So I'm just praying, and I'm just asking God uh, to give me a word for her. And initially I felt nothing, so I just continued to walk around the warehouse. And then I hear God say she's an artist. It was an unlikely word, because she didn't look artsy at all, 
So I, I said to her, Nona, I was praying for you, and I just felt God say, you're an artist. Does that mean anything to you? And her face lit up, and she said, my first job was at, at the Arts Institute, and I loved that job. And so I just, in that moment, I got to honor her for her service. I said, I just felt God has put a creativity inside of you, and in this next season, he's going to bring that out. And I got to share the good news of the gospel with her, and she received it, and we prayed, and we just had a big farewell with Jesus right there in that warehouse. Just the goodness of God. And it's so simple. I always used to say, it's probably me, but it might be Jesus. And I've just had that shift of, it's probably Jesus, and it might be me. So if it's probably Jesus, I should probably do it. (laughs) About a year ago, we went through um, just a a rough patch with our five-year-old son, Ryan. Uh, He just hadn't found his stride. He was just in a bit of a funk, and he had started at a new school, and he just hadn't really made any buddies. Uh, So Courtney and I started praying for him. And the one day, Courtney actually prayed with Ryan, and they prayed that God would give him a new best friend, and that God would just reveal his love to Ryan. And there are two things that that Ryan really loves. The first is Spider-Man, which I'm sure you could have guessed, and the second is insects. He really loves bugs. So the day after Courtney and Ryan uh, pray, he goes off to school And that day, a new boy arrived at Ryan's school, and immediately they bonded and just became buddies. So Ryan comes running home, and he's like, Mom and Dad, I've just made my best friend. His name is Hendrix. And that same day, uh, Courtney and Ryan were in our garden, and they spotted a very rare insect. It's called the candy-striped leafhopper. Very hard to see, only three-quarters of an inch. They're very flighty, so as soon as you get close to it, it springs away. Courtney and Ryan were able to go back into the house, get a magnifying glass, get right up close on this insect without him jumping away, and the design on his back looks like Spider-Man. So Courtney was able just to tell Ryan about the goodness of God and just his love and how he knows Ryan intimately. And we saw a shift in his life from that day forward. He from where he was to where he is now, he's been growing in confidence. I was playing with, uh, with him in his room, playing Legos, and uh, I tried to change the game, and he was like, no, Dad, we're not doing that. I, I rule you. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, really? Buddy, you rule me? What does that mean? He's like, yeah, Dad, this is my room. I rule in my room. <laughs> so God is teaching the kids spiritual authority. He knows the highest authority in his room is Ryan. So there's so much more to say, but I, we've really felt as an eldership that this, in this season especially, it's about us being empowered. It's not spectators, but it's all, all of us diving in. Um, so I'm not letting you off the hook. Um, I want us to just continue to trust by faith. Um, we're going to pray for people, and then Matt's going to take over and transition. But I felt this morning... Uh, I just felt for those that have physical pain, anything that's not whole in your body. Um, it could be something that 
maybe pain that you're not experiencing now, but it's every two weeks you get migraines. I felt like um, insomnia falls in this category, emotional stuff, uh, depression would fall in this category. So if you have anything less than wholeness in your body, I want you to be bold and just stand. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.